Here's an amazing interview with Mark S.A. Smith. Um, I've always known Mark as a marketing guy, but these are the seven essential skills every nonprofit leader needs to be successful. Enjoy. Mark S.A. <laughs> Smith is my guest today. This is um, what we call the Nonprofit Exchange. It's a series started by my colleague, um, Todd Greer, and Todd had the foresight to think we needed to interview business leaders to install business principles into our organizations as charities. We, we work with synagogues, we work with churches, we work with educational institutions, government entities, like I worked with the Agency on Aging nearby. We all have the same problems, and it's centered around the problems that you have articulated. Mark S.A. Smith, this distinguishes him from the other wannabe Mark Smiths out there. Um, That's it. And Mark does, re does remarkable things, and he's become a dear friend, and <laughs> he actually likes me and sees I have potential. So he's I do. <laughs> he's an expert in marketing, but I'm finding out he has numbers of areas of expertise. And Mark leads the Executive Strategy Skills Summit for corporate leaders. Um, and I understand you're a 36-year veteran of business development, and you've owned your I company am. for 26 years? Yeah, coming up in 27 now. That's right. You're about to figure it out, are you? I am. I've been coaching executives for 26 years, so I've been doing this for a while. We all have a lot of scar tissue, Hugh, and that's what we want to share with our listener is uh, how to avoid some of that scar tissue. I love it. I love it. I tell people I've made all the mistakes possible and sometimes more than once. And I, I like to say <laughs> I'm smarter than I look because I've learned from them. So, Mark, I could go on and wax eloquently about your accomplishment, but you are, you are indeed a renaissance man of many talents. Thank and you. uh, you're sitting in the, the, the temperate climate of Las Vegas, Nevada, and I'm indeed. in the mountains of southwest Virginia. So welcome. Thank you. It's a delight to be uh, sharing ideas with you, Hugh. We're going to talk about these seven essential ex mm -hmm. essential skills, mm -hmm. but we're talking to nonprofit leaders. So tell me why you think these business principles that we're going to talk about are important for people leading a church or synagogue or nonprofit. It's actually really simple, Hugh. The idea here is that nonprofit is a tax status, not a business plan as you and I have shared together. The idea here is that to have a successful organization, it has to operate like an organization. The only difference between a nonprofit organization and a for-profit organization is the mission. The mission of a for-profit organization is profit and growth. And the mission of a nonprofit is sustainability and growth. So they end up being exactly the same. The principles require the same elements the organization requires the same elements. And no matter if you're charging money or collecting money, you still have to provide value to your constituents, to your team, to your employees, to your volunteers. And so what changes, the biggest thing that changes between a nonprofit organization and a for-profit organization is the introduction of volunteers. That's the big difference. Because with volunteers, I have no direct control. I can't fire them. Well, I can tell them to go away. But... The, the reality is that I have to actually be better as an executive working with a nonprofit than I can with a profit because I have some leverage in a profit or profit organization. You're singing my song. I love it. <laughs> now, well, I've even gone yeah, so far works, as, right? I, I went with a pastor this morning. I said, eliminate the word volunteer. 
Because mm-hmm. actually, your theology is that you're called. Mm-hmm. So we, right. we, these are servant leaders, members in ministry. We go, oh, my word. It's a whole different paradigm. So I'm a par- Even, Mark, I've, I've been inspired by Dan Pallotta in his, his TED Talk on the way we think about charity is dead wrong. Yes, it is. And he even to that word nonprofit, it, it, we dumb down to this philosophy that you, you said is a business plan of, of, of scarcity. No. Right. So he said, let's call it a tax exempt charity. We actually have yes. a lot of very specific regulations, but we do need business principles. And, and what you're saying is so on target. I'm, I'm just excited. Um, I've, you and I have known each other for a short period of time. We've had a number of in-depth uh, workshops. We're building out um, a container for nonprofit leaders and their organizations to become certified through CenterVision. And you have a lot of valuable content that's, that's going to be in that container. And we're forecasting our live multi-day uh, uh, leadership empowerment summit. And the first one you may not know is going to be in Chicago in August. Awesome. Yeah. We're now going public with it because we've, we've got a fix on it. So I, I think as we do these regular Tuesday interviews with thought leaders in the nonprofit exchange, and then at 7 p.m. on Tuesdays, we do the nonprofit chat with the hashtag. So you can find it in all of that complex stuff in Twitter. Nonprofit chat will be tonight. Mark will be my guest, and we'll be entertaining questions, and people will be tweeting back and forth with the questions on, uh, on Twitter. I'd like to get in some of this great content you have. So you sent me a list of these seven, I would call these essential skills. That's exactly it. They're essential uh, skills. Clergy and a nonprofit executive director are executives. That doesn't matter. doesn't matter what your role is. If the buck stops with you, you've got to have these uh, skills. You have to have these insights. And the good news is you don't have to be extraordinary at all seven of them, but you do need to be capable with all seven and cognizant of all seven. And the reality is you probably are doing some of these already, yet you probably have some areas where you could really firm things up. So let me lay out for you what I think are the seven, and then we can dig into as deep as you want in each one of these because there's a lot of depth underneath each one. Love it. But in, in what I consider to be relatively the rank order in which you need to be skilled, the first one is you need to have presence. You need to have that ability for people to meet you for the first time and say, this is a person I'd like to get to know. This is somebody who has a handle on life and, and ideas, and they're worth following. And what generates presence is actually fairly simple. It's EQ, emotional intelligence, as well as uh, David Gruder's, Dr. David Gruder's IQ, the, the integrity quotient which is really important. Those two elements, the fact that you're authentic and you're present, the EQ is really about how you observe and interact both your abilities and the person's abilities and their reactions and response to that moment. And there's plenty of content on that. It's really solid, but I think it's really important. What you end up with is that combination of EQ and integrity really means that you have personal mastery. And so there's a maturity level that comes along with that. It's really difficult to, to find uh, somebody without maturity that, that can lead an organization, at least not sustainably. So that, to me, is the most important element. And I believe that most people in the world of nonprofits have that, at least to a degree. They can groom it. They can grow it. But 
it. I think that's the first thing you've got to have. Without that, nobody's going to follow you. <laughs> right? Oh, man. oh, that is so spot on. Thank you. No, you're welcome. So presence, I think, is number one. Number two, might surprise some people. Probably doesn't surprise the folks that are listening right now, and that would be discipline. Discipline is critical to being successful as an executive, and it's both personal discipline as well as professional discipline. And the reality is that you have to set the tone for the rest of the organization. And if you leave an undisciplined life, it's a very difficult for other people to stand in line and become organized. <laughs> it's absolutely impossible. So you have to create both professional routines as well as personal routines if you're going to be effective. Otherwise, what happens is things fall in the cracks. You've probably seen some of these things. It's, it's unique. I, my podcast I released yesterday, I talked about time. How do we manage ourselves? We can't manage time because it goes by. It's the, the whooshing sound is those deadlines that are passing by, but we can't manage that. We manage our use of time. I said we need discipline and commitment. And as a musician, if we don't yes. have that, and we're not a leader. So I, I'm yeah. just chuckling. This is so, so timely. I thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. And actually, let's talk about discipline for just a moment since you talked about time. You know, the biggest time, uh, the biggest time management lie is that time is money. It, it is. As an executive, the biggest lie is time and money. And, and I'll tell you where that came from. It actually came from Benjamin Franklin's advice to a young tradesman written by an old one. Ooh, ooh. That's where that came from. Well, folks, we're not tradesmen. There's a difference between a tradesman who's selling time and a leader who is organizing resources. Ah. Major difference in that. Really, the only true value when you sell, you know, the biggest, time is money is true when you sell time. The reality is value creation is money for an executive. How can we create more value for our constituents? That's it. And so the next question is, how is your work power measured? Is it measured in hours or outcome? Are you paid for the number of hours you work as an executive or the outcome you produce? If the answer is outcome, then time is not money. <laughs> that is a trap we get into very easily. We, we, we have this in our psyche, and I can't tell you how often I run across this. I need to do all this stuff. No, you're not doer. You're a leader. That's right. That is, oh, I'm loving this. Yes, yes. We get into this emotional trap, and we overfunction. Yes. Well, the challenge that is that most leaders, because of their cognitive capacity, they're smart people, otherwise you wouldn't rise to that position, and recognize that and understand that, and you, know, you can be humble in that, but the reality is that you're smarter than the average bear, which allows you to do what you do. But the challenge is, is because of that level of intelligence, it means that you can do everything in the organization, yeah. Yeah. but you shouldn't. And what happens is that we have to let go of the do-how. Most of us got where we got because we are capable and we can get stuff done. But that's what's holding us back from really growing our organization. The reward of do-how got us to where we're going to go. We have to let go of the do-how to take ourselves to the next level. I, this is remarkable. I don't know that you've read my leadership material in total, but I, I, the first lesson of the transformational leader is to find things you need to let go of. Yes, indeed. Oh, my yeah. word. I love it. Well, you know, it's, well, the reality is that, remember, a doer is tactical. Yes. Do and is always a tactical. 
to become a, a, a true organizational leader, you have to become strategic. And that's why we talk about the Executive Strategy Skills Summit. Most people weren't, told, weren't taught strategic skills. And strategy is always why we're doing this and what we're going to do. And then we release the how to others. That's a, and I'm going to attend your summit. It's, it's executive strategy summit.com. And then you can put slash yes. center vision. Um, That's right. <clears throat> Mark's company is a supportive center vision and we get credit for your subscriptions. Um, right. it's, it's a donation, um, principle. I, I, um, I looked at the, the material on that. It's quite remarkable. It's a multi-day, multi-day yes. event and it's for executives at what level? Um, well, the uh, goal is for executives between, that uh, control an organization between five and $100 million. If you're less than $5 million, let's have a conversation just to see where your growth path is. And part of the reason why is under five, you usually don't have the resources required. You need to do some bootstrapping. I can help with that, but you may not have. That, that may be some sort of thing we could work out. But above $100 million, they usually have professional management that understands these principles. And so what I'm looking for is that mid-market that have yet to really understand what it means to be an executive. And the reason why it takes two and a half days is because there's a transformation that goes on. You have to change how you view the world. And that requires a couple of sleeps. That is brilliant. That, that is so spot on. I'm just glad we're having this interview. I, didn't, I <laughs> knew we had too. some synergy, pardon the <laughs> reference, but this is quite remarkable. And, um, all of those executives, this mid-cap company is small enough they can actually lean enough to do something about it. That's right. Much bigger companies take a lot longer. That's right. They all sit on boards of charities or churches or synagogues yes, and bring those skill sets to the charity if the leader allows that to happen. So there's a, there's a convergence of these two, and I fully support, and I would encourage people to seek you out. We'll put the link in for people to uh, – find you and have an interview mark.smith at how do you say your company it's bija bija co bija stands is means seed in sanskrit b-i-j-a-c-o.com i'll put that yeah. link in and you're you. i think what you, your principle of interviewing people to see if it's a good fit is a really good one and these are small groups these aren't 300 people oh no 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 we the, no more than 40 in the room and and the goal is 30 executives and the other 10 are observers so folks that may have a non-executive role that need to watch. And we do have some executives that bring, you know, their team along uh, to, to learn the skills too. So Good. that's what we're Good. talking about. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the synergies here between this and the, the Center Vision uh, Leadership Excellence Summit, which is going to start its uh, pattern in August, is that yes. it's a multi-day, two-and-a-half-day event. It's for it. leaders and their teams. And yes. you don't know it, but you're going to be teaching these principles or some other principles that are – I expect to do so. Uh, applicable and this Since is we where, designed this together i expect to be doing that this is where nonprofit leaders need to get their board people to your event and to this event because we need to access the best thinking of everybody yes and and it's the synergy and the, the collaboration between the business and the charity that's so important or the church or synagogue so the yes. the discipline piece is and, and the presence. This is so good. So presence. Do we need to say more about discipline? I think it's the discipline of not doing everything amongst well, it, all those other yeah, things. Yeah, it's demand management, not time management. Demand management. I love your reframing of Ben Franklin. Thank you. Well, it's really important to understand where these beliefs come from and make sure that they're accurate. 
and I, you know, I don't want to diss Ben because he's, he's a fan. I'm a fan of Ben. So, <laughs> and we have to understand as executives, we look at the world a different way. We're different than anybody else in the organization, requiredly so. So let's talk about the third thing that is required. We've gotten through two. And the third thing is foresight. You have to have the ability to look into the future as an executive. And if we think about the people within the organization on the front line, how far in the future do we want the folks on the front line to look? today. I want them to look at today because we have tasks that we have to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And as I take a look at the next level up, how far in the future do we want them to look, you know, probably two or three weeks out so they can schedule and make sure that we have resources in place for our next uh, tactical deployment. And then maybe another layer up. You know, we, those folks need to look out maybe six months into the future. But as the executive, you need to be looking one year, three year, five years out into the future. You've got to be looking that far out to avoid what Scott Adams, the author of Dilbert, calls slow-moving problems. <laughs> and there are fast-moving problems and there are slow-moving problems. And slow-moving problems are the ones that kill companies because they don't see them coming. But then we navigate out of the way and we can take care of some of those challenges. As executives, remember our job is twofold. One is to set the, the objective of the organization, the what and why, and to avoid the risks that we can predict. Those two things are critical to our success. Without those two views of the future, uh, the, the company will not last. It is unsustainable. So that concept of having foresight, vision, generating new value, and then controlling the velocity of how fast we go is critical. And those are the three components of what I consider to be foresight, vision, value, and velocity. And we have full control of those things as as the leader of the organization. That's a huge differentiation. We don't punch a time clock. No. We don't, we, we, we are not, we, we supervise the tactics. We're not, we're the visionary, not the tactician. That's right. We hire people for the tactics. Now we should be able to handle the complexity of the tactics so that we understand and we can troubleshoot when there's trouble, when there's challenges, but we also want to hire people who have the capacity to accomplish those or recruit the people that have the capacity to accomplish those things. So from, a, from another strategy level is, is our job as the executive is to create the system. Mm -hmm. And then we, then we bring in a team to create the processes, which then install the people to, to have the procedures. And there are three different layers with three levels of tactical strategy, sequence, deployment. And the reality is the procedures should ultimately be flexible enough to handle the moving target of customer satisfaction. And I don't care if you're operating a, a cathedral or a synagogue or a nonprofit organization, if you're not delivering the experience that your constituents want, so they're going to they're switch to somebody else. We have as much competition as everybody else on the planet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we have to provide that customer experience and it's just pragmatic. It's just, that's, that's all there is to it. We have to be pragmatic about what this is, understanding that the why may be a non-physical higher calling why than a for-profit organization. But ultimately people are going to compare their customer experience with one they get every other rest of the day. The other days they're not with us. Well, it's, it's the same thing that you said about business. We provide value. 
We do. We solve problems and we exist because we provide value mm -hmm. to people. And um, a lot of charities are, are formed to solve a problem. And that's yes. why a lot of businesses are there. They solve a problem. They help right. us do something we couldn't do without them. And right. never losing sight of that. And actually, um, one of the people I interviewed in the, the series said that leaders live in the future. Absolutely. Live in the future. They do indeed. Their thoughts are always into the future. And then they bring that. Now, another way to think about this is a leader's job is to create a future yeah. that does not yet exist in spite of current circumstances. That is so well put. You'll love this. In this series, I interviewed Cal Turner, who mm. went to his leadership team at Dollar General. And he said, um, I'm the boss. And um, spell backwards, it's double S-O-B right there in front of everybody. He said that. He said, <laughs> and I'm the son of the boss, which makes it a worse <laughs> double S-O-B. <laughs> I've got the vision for taking this company public. I've got this yeah. job because of my genes. My father founded the company. I'm president and CEO. We're going to go public. I need your skills. So he's, everybody stepped up. They went public. They sold it, understand, for $7.3 billion in the future. He That's sold a lot of dollars. Big. That's a bunch of dollars. <laughs> and everybody benefited because he gave them. He said, Hugh, leadership is about defining your gaps and finding good people to fill them. So it's, it's right along the line with what you're saying here. Amen. So uh, there's so much synergy in the people that uh, have gravitated to me. Makes sense. Talking. So this is so – so It on. should be no surprise. You know – as, as an executive coach, my job isn't to make my executives' weaknesses stronger. It's, that's not it. It's to help them make their strengths stronger and then hire for their weaknesses. But that said, that also brings us up to the fourth point, the fourth element, which is business acumen. Ooh. Ooh. You have to have business acumen. You have to understand what it takes to run a business. And the place where I see a lot of organizations tank is where they – um, they abdicate responsibility for critical business functions to people by saying, I don't know anything about sales. I don't know anything about marketing and I don't know anything about operations. So I'm going to hire somebody to come in who sells me on their ability to do these things that I don't know how to do. And then that person has a different view of what needs to be done and things just explode. <laughs> I get it. And, and unfortunately I see, as you probably do, many examples of people that do just that. Yeah, they do. And so you have to have a fundamental business acumen on, on what is the product you're delivering? What is the vision, the value, velocity of that product? What, what does marketing mean? And my definition of marketing is very simple. It's anything that triggers a relevant conversation. If it doesn't trigger a relevant conversation, it's not marketing, it's a waste of money. And so all nonprofits have to trigger those relevant conversations somehow. Yes. And we tend to shy away as churches and charities and synagogues. We shy away from those business things because we, we, you know, we're doing good in the world. We're not doing business. Well, we, we feel, feel that we're kind of above that. But the reality is that uh -uh. You, that's your competition. <laughs> well, donor dollars, we're competing for people's money. Yes, of course. And, and we don't do a good job of describing all of this stuff. And, and, and Well, we can. We can fix that. That's not a problem. All that's fixable. Okay, the, the third thing is we have to understand that facilitates a profitable transaction. Now, you might be thinking, but I'm not selling it. Yes, you are. You're selling the insight. You're selling the intellectual property. Most uh, religious organizations are about intellectual property. It's about, it's about the, the feeling of hope, the feeling of capability, the feeling of being better, 
feeling of improving you as a human being to be tight, more tightly connected to your maker. That's what you're selling. And, and don't see it as sales. Yes, it is because they are giving you money to have access to that intellectual property. Well, there's not much difference in my mind in evangelism and selling. No, there's no, there really is no difference. Understand that the concept of selling, though, has been fairly polluted. Yeah. And that is to try to cram something down somebody's throat. But that's not it. Real selling is nothing more than helping a person manage their motivation and develop their motivation into a higher form. That's it. That's, what, that's really what sales is all about. And we can talk about that. And I've got some magnificent models that feel comfortable to people once they understand that. Love it. Love it. All right. Then the fourth thing is we have to have customer service that engenders loyalty. And so how people are treated um, in an organization are critical to the long-term participation in that organization. Of course, we all have horror stories about people that were mistreated, leave the organization, become um, enemies isn't right. They're quite the right word, but they become antagonists. You know, you have evangelists at one and antagonists at the other. So we have to figure out how to do that. Then the fifth thing that we have to have is operations that scale with business cycles. Ooh. And I see this happening with, with nonprofits right now where they, and, and, and religious organizations where they have infrastructure that's not capable of scaling down as well as up. And that's where the long-term leadership really is important is, is looking at that, but also managing that. Then the sixth thing that we have to have is finance that controls cash flow and funds the future. And cash flow is, is what kills most organizations. And that, that financial control is really critical. Then the sixth thing is culture that creates a sustainable brand. And your organization has a brand. And yes. we can talk about branding and what that really means. And it's not your logo, and it's not your building, and it's not your tagline. That's <laughs> not a brand. Uh-huh. You know, a brand is a customer experience that they want to repeat, that they're willing to pay for, that they're willing to tell others about, that they can't get anywhere else. That's a brand. I think we, as charities, misunderstand all of those principles. Of course, because nobody's taught them to you. You know, the, a lot of this stuff is by accident. We got where we are by accident. And the challenge is that we've hit this limit where we can't go any higher because of what got us here isn't going to take us to that next level. And the idea behind these conversations is let's reframe what we're doing so that we have access to more resources, both cognitively as well as monetarily, time-wise, and by clearing away some of that old stuff that really isn't appropriate, isn't even valuable anymore. So that's where we have to go. That's that relearning, that transformation. So those are the seven skills of business acumen that we have to at least have an understanding of. So you know what questions to ask when you hire the people and that you can ask the great questions when you're managing them. So don't, don't abdicate that responsibility. That will kill you. Absolutely. That's number four. Ready for number five? Yes, sir. So we have presence, we have discipline, we have foresight, business acumen. You just made that brilliant list. Now, number five on the big list is? Communication skills. Everybody talks about it. Nobody does anything about it. I know it. It's about clarity and it's about how people process information. And there's a lot of elements. And we dig into communication styles, how people process information in in our conversations. And it's amazing. I find that um, an exercise around communication styles does more to build teamwork than anything else we can do. And the reason why is because, well, for example, one of the communication styles that we talk about is how a person takes a look at the current situation as compared with their history. 
Mm-hmm. And we have two types of people. We have matchers that look for similarities, things that line up. And we have mismatchers that look for differences, things where they're not quite lined up the way they were before. And we have to have both. Matchers create community. Mismatchers troubleshoot. We got to have both. Mm. We have to have both. Yet, if a mismatcher and a matcher are communicating, the mismatcher sees the matcher as not looking at truth because they're ignoring things. And the, mat- and the matcher looking at the mismatcher is going, you're being a jerk because you're just pointing out all the bad stuff that we haven't gotten to. And, you, you, you know, we've gotten 97 of these things done. There's these, these three things that you keep focusing on. You're driving us crazy because we've done so much good work already. And they're, yeah, but we've already done that. We don't need to do that anymore. And so there's this, there's this conflict in how they process information. And once you understand that we got to have both, and once you understand that, oh, you're just in mismatch mode, I respect that. Let's go on debate. That's how mismatchers learn is through debate. What's underlying all of this, um, I teach that the foundation of communication is based on relationship. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's, there's grace in relationship, which would help that situation. I think all of us are processing, we're in the future, we're processing, we tend to skip over some steps as yes. we communicate. So having these tools is so helpful. Yes. That, that must be a major component of your summit. Well, it, it is. We spend quite a bit of time looking at that. And it's actually a sheet that's separate from the book as well as being in the book. So people can re- reference it as they're, as they're cruising along. But we also use it as a troubleshooting tool. So you think of somebody you're having a challenge with and you realize that how they're processing information is radically different than how you're processing information. But we also show you how to make an adjustment so that you can make the connection. We also include things such as body language, so you figure out what communication mode they're in by observing their body language. And then you can use that to determine where they are and how to adjust how you're transmitting the information so they better receive the information. As a leader, it's critical to have those kind of communications. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. Yes, I agree. And, of course, it helps that you're funny. (laughs) As a leader, humor goes a long way. You know, there's two things that develop relationships with people. Ahas, you know, an insight that you hadn't received uh-huh. before. And ahaha, which is another form of aha. It just, it just, you just find that, communi- that connection to be a little unusual. And that helps us from taking ourselves too seriously. Of course, right, exactly. So that's number five. Number six is persuasion skills. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because you have to negotiate and create agreement all along the food chain, especially in organizations where you're working with people who are showing up voluntarily. Your ability to persuade them and to get them to negotiate and to trade off time and energy and attention for the objective of the organization is absolutely critical. And negotiating skills are very interesting. Most people have been taught how to get a better deal, and I have learned the antidote to all of those things. So how can we be more resourceful? I wrote a book back in the mid-90s called Guerrilla Negotiation, which is, the, which is the antidote to all the stuff that's been taught about beating people down and taking deal, the money out of the deal. Now, of course, along the way, you get to learn both sides, and so you get to pick and choose and how that works. But the reality is that you know, as executives, we get to choose the, the priorities, but we have to negotiate those priorities with the others who are coming along because their priorities aren't necessarily in alignment with our priorities. And that's where the persuasion skills and the negotiating skills have to come into play. 
so the better the negotiator you are, the better the persuader you are, the better the leadership leader that you are. Now, this is where I see a lot of executives have challenges. Now, that's not everybody. There's some really great negotiators out there. This is a place that they either turn their nose up at the concept of persuasion and negotiation, but the reality is when you're standing, in, if you're a religious leader and you're standing in front of your group, your job is to persuade. Yes, yes, yes. I have a good analogy for you here. Yes. People think that a, um, a conductor is a dictator. Yeah. You got a little white stick. You can't make anybody do anything, <laughs> especially a union orchestra. <laughs> so persuasion is, is, is influence. Yes, it is. We can, you got two hours in this gig. You've paid them for the rehearsal. You can, they can play the notes and leave, or they can make excellent music. The difference is how you influence them. And here's the, here's the line. If the orchestra respects the conductor, they play as the conductor intends. If they don't, they play exactly as they direct. Yeah. Ooh, that's really and all. So this, this is a key piece. We are people of influence. I like that persuasion piece. That's very different from the used car salesman and the sales piece. There's a synergy with all of these together. I love it. That used car salesman, the old manipulative approach to sales, you need to understand it so you can avoid it. But that's not what we're talking about. And Hmm. keep in mind that the, the things you may be resisting as far as thinking about sales is a technology that works once. (laughs) <laughs> i get it but we're not we're not selling thousand dollar vacuums door to door we are creating a community with an ongoing long-term relationship which requires a completely different strategy for persuasion and negotiation oh gosh we're not talking one and done transactional sales strategies which are failing and they're disappearing our friends my, my five children millennial children will not put up with that crap. Excuse me. <laughs> they won't put up with that garbage. They won't. It's not going to happen. And so that, that sales approach is disappearing. And no, we, we never go there. It, it, it's not what we want to have happen. I fully agree with that. That is so powerful. Thank you. You're welcome. Then the seventh one is you make resourceful decisions. Who taught you how to make decisions? Where'd that come from? What is your decision strategy? What is your decision tree? How are you approaching your decisions? Because as an executive leader, you have to have the ability to make decisions fast. You have the luxury of taking a breath, but not much more than that. (laughs) And if you do all these things right, the decision becomes fairly straightforward. If we think about, you know, presence and we think about our discipline and we think about business acumen, then the decisions become a little easier because everything ends up being in alignment. If you have integrity, decisions are going to fall within your scope of integrity. Things get easier along the way. But that said, most people don't have a decision strategy that allows them to make resourceful decisions. The word I'm looking for is resourceful, not good, not bad, because you will never make always good decisions. It's impossible. (laughs) Uh, but you can make resourceful decisions and then you can change your mind. And so part of the conversations that we talk about is how to become com- uncom- how to be comfortable with uncertainty mm-hmm. because you have to make decisions about the future that you don't know if it's going to happen. Efficient allocation of resources and about managing time, energy, imagination, and money. All those things are resources that you get to direct. Part of this 
principle Dan Pallotta addresses in that why we think a charity is dead wrong. Um, we, we, um, we are risk averse and making decisions seems like it's risky and we're not given any grace. We, uh, uh, Disney does a movie and it doesn't make it and lose $200 million. It's, it's, it's just a part of doing business. We lose $50 in a charity. Everybody criticizes us. And for part of this whole continuum is a mindset yes. going from this scarcity thinking to an abundance mentality that yes, we mm-hmm. can and need to make effective decisions and we need to mitigate the risks. But that's why you surround yourself with really good people. That one is a key component. I mean, that makes all the rest of this work. Mm-hmm. That's really, right. really. And it makes all of this work is that ability to make resourceful decisions that are in alignment. Now, all of this is wrapped in the assumption that you have cognitive capacity. I'm assuming <laughs> that you're smart enough to do all this stuff. And, <laughs> and so that, that is an important consideration, but it's not something that I spill out as, the, as part of the seven. If you have cognitive capacity, you can do the seven. If you don't have cognitive capacity, you're not going to be able to do the seven. So there's, there is that element that's involved, but you wouldn't be doing what you're doing if you didn't have the cognitive capacity. And, Interestingly enough, at the last summit that we did here in Las Vegas in January, uh, we had 18 people in the room. And one of the things we talked about is, you know, who here wakes up in the middle of the night, two, three, four in the morning, and you lay there chewing on something, ruminating on something. Of course, you know, everybody's hand went up. And I said, you know, why? Why is that the case? Well, we have things to worry about. I said, you know, every small business owner believes in God. Because they've all woken up in the middle of the night and saying, oh, God, how am I going to make payroll? <laughs> and the same thing happens for every organization, whether you're religious or non-religious. That's just, it's just the, the current challenge. And what we found, which I found was absolutely amazing, is the second night, everybody slept through the night. Nobody in the room woke up in the middle of the night chewing on things. That's and really I said... Hard. And I said, why? Why is it the case that all of us have had this experience that we slept through the night? And the consensus was because we now have a plan. Uh-huh. We, no, we now have a system. We now have, we know what we're going to do next. So I can sleep soundly knowing that when I wake up in the morning, I know what to do. I, I, I know my next step. I know what the process is. I know what I need to do. And that is how we eliminate burnout. Burnout comes when we don't know what to do next, and we feel out of control. And we feel it's our responsibility to be in control, but we don't know how to get into control. And this entire concept of, of executive strategy skills is about how do you put together your system? How do you put together your plan? And then you execute on that plan knowing it's a game. You're going to have trips and traps along the way, but hey, it's okay because we can handle it. For those people watching us on Facebook Live and those who are going to watch the recording later, Tuesdays at 7, uh, Center Vision hosts the Nonprofit Chat. So it's hashtag Nonprofit Chat or go to nonprofitchat.com. This, is the, um, this, this um, podcast and video will be viewed by people f- for years. Uh, we're sitting. How delightful. Oh, yeah. It's, but, you know, what we put out there is going to last. Um, we're sitting in February of 20, um, 20, 21st 17. of 20, 
2017. What year is it? Um, and, um, and, but the stuff you're talking about is timeless. It's, it's going to be valuable if people look at this years later. You're my guest tonight. This is the 21st. So for people watching us live, um, we're going we're gonna to mull over some questions tonight in the nonprofit chat. So go to nonprofitchat.com. Um, you can find out about the Executive Strategy Summit with that URL.com, Executive Strategy Summit. And, Mark, on that site, is there a place for people to email you on that page? Of course. You're always, yeah, there, there is, but you can also reach me at mark.smith, M-A-R-K dot S-M-I-T-H, at bijaco, B-I-J-A-C-O dot com. Mark Smith, and let's, I mean, I'll be glad to spend a half an hour with you, invest a half an hour with you, share a half an hour with you to talk about your organization. And, and if what we've talked about with you, what you and I have talked about here have uh, resonated, has resonated with you, let's have a conversation. And I'd love to see you at the Executive Strategy Summit. We're, we're, we do multiple of them through a year. And of course, we'll be doing the CinderVision uh, version of that in, in August in Chicago. So what a delight. Absolutely. What, I've, what I've been talking about is coming out of the, uh, the 154-page workbook that comes with the summit. So that's, uh, that's what I've been referring to today <laughs> as we go through this content. And, and so, you know, it's, you, you see stuff like, you know, you know this is. Oh, my goodness. It's in color. It's in, oh, absolutely. This Your is first class, man. Your first this, class. Well, it's an executive quality con, you know, conversation. Well, and so will the Center Vision Summit. It, it's, it's absolutely so. Absolutely so. And we have sought out, actually, people have gravitated to me, the, the very best in the field, and you're, you're on the top of that list, sir. Thank you. Um, Thank we're going to be uh, broadcasting in, again Tuesday night. This will be up on Facebook for a while. As we um, close out this particular interview in the um, nonprofit exchange, now, if you're listening to this and you're not a nonprofit, um, you're probably on a board, and Absolutely. these are messages. Or you should be. Yes, right. Everybody needs to serve on two boards and be serious about it. Yeah. And by the way, if you're on a every board, executive, yeah, every executive needs to be serving on a absolutely, on a board. and they need to be donors for those charities because it's really good for business, but it's really good for the communities, mm-hmm. and we can bring our skill set to these charities. So as we're we're closing out this message to um, clergy and nonprofit executives, what's a uh, a tip you'd like to leave with people? A final thought about. What, what you're saying in, in what I'm, my hearing is we want to transform organizations. First, we transform ourselves. Mm-hmm. And if you don't work on yourself, it ain't going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I'm hearing that through this message. Am I, am I following you? Absolutely. So I think that this to me is one of the most important things for executives to realize. And it's this simply this. It's, uh, do you see that reversed or straight? No, it's straight for me. Okay, great. Because it's easy to defer your vision. Your key to success becomes discipline. Oh, oh. And quite frankly, if you have challenges that you're facing right now, the secret to your success is to take action. And if you've listened to this to this point, you realize it's time for you to make some, some adjustments. Let's work together. You know, Hugh and I both have decades of experience in scar tissue. We want you to be successful. That's, that's the reason why we're doing this. I've made the mistakes. Hughes made the mistakes. My colleagues and clients have made the mistakes. We, you don't need to do that anymore. You know, I'm not special in the fact that I invented this stuff, but I did curate it. So what we're sharing here is things that I've observed that I consider to be universal principles of success by observing 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of businesses and executives. And so let me share with you what we've learned. Let Hugh share with you what he's learned. Let us make you the success that you and your organization deserve. That requires discipline. You can see more by Mark Smith at centervisionleadership.org. And um, we're, we're partners in equipping leaders to create a better future for our world and our country. Blessings to you, Mark Smith. That's- to you, my friend. Blessings to you. It's always delight. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>